coming up. The rumours at the time was that she insured her arse for $5 million. Big bucks, big bucks, big bucks. Big bucks, big bucks, big bucks. Oh. There's been no change after week 10. Don't Call Me Baby stays on for Liam. And say my name has been Scott's pick for the last four weeks, but something tells me it's going to be under severe threat today. We've been building up to this for a while, I feel like. I feel like... This one's been looked forward to for one particular reason. This is the only real track past Say My Name that I've seen come and that I thought, oh, hold on a second, that could change everything. And I'm intrigued to see what comes out of my mouth when we start to talk about it. <laughs> so Richard Blackwood, certainly one to look forward to today. No, absolutely. we're of course talking about the princess of pop, but we'll get to her in plenty we'll of time. There. We'll get there. Don't you we'll worry. There. Don't we'll you there. worry. We'll we'll but first, let's get some emails and comments. We have had Tabby on that says, Hi guys, love this week's episode of the podcast. I always see the track list in advance and I don't think I know half the songs, but then I listen to them on the podcast and realise I do know them mm. and it's always a nice surprise. However, I'm incensed at this week's episode. How can Liam not like Bon Jovi? <sighs> Clearly, he didn't have parents who blasted Bon Jovi throughout the house at every possible opportunity, and it nope. shows nope. they are ingrained in my soul, along with the likes of Springsteen, ACDC, Metallica, Queen U2. I could go on. I just don't understand how anyone can't like Bon Jovi. They're an absolute classic band. Definitely my episode and current series winner. Big words. Yeah, it's big words. I mean, you're right that I didn't have parents who blasted Bon Jovi. ACDC, yes. Metallica, yes. Queen, yes. Maybe Springsteen. I'm not too sure. But look, I mean, it's very comprehensive, isn't it, what Tabby's just said there. She's saying series winner. Yeah. And I mean, I'm like, what can I possibly say? So I got this, I think, Friday, straight away, as soon as the episode came out. I got this email and I thought, oh, I suppose I better you know, do my due diligence and really think about it properly. And cause I, you know, I can't be, I can't be this wrong. I can't be this spectacularly wrong. So absolutely. I've done some deep soul search and I've really, really thought about it and I've listened to it on repeat and I've gone through the video and I've gone through the discography surrounding it. And I've <laughs> really, really thought about it and I've come to a conclusion, Scott. So you like it now? It's still shite. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, Ryan's been on as well says alright lads been interested in hearing you judging songs based on your enjoyment and memories versus impact do you think that's going to get more strained interesting if something new to you or you've forgotten beats something huge eventually and uh, love the Billy story too I actually didn't know her tunes well before so it was nice to eventually discover the bangers she made multi-talented yeah what do you think do you think it's going to be hard yeah it's, 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 it's an interesting point because there has been a lot of songs recently that have conjured up memories even for me at four year old which is strange mm-hmm. how, how, what, what's your metric for choosing what wins are you going based off cross contamination with memories or purely just like how good because for me it's just how good the track is to be honest I think I'm doing really well because I think you know really if you if I go based off memories experiences and stuff that I have the best memories to I would have chosen a dance record as the winner every single week and the mm-hmm. ones that I've chosen that are dance music are actually you know the method and the, the explanation behind them 
means that they are pop songs too but you know you chose William Orbit I didn't that was a really obvious yeah. choice for me um, you know I did choose I Need a Miracle I've chosen you know Sonic and things like that but anything can go any way and you know you've just listed Springsteen ACDC Metallica and stuff I had nothing but folk music in my house growing up like Irish stuff that was Irish cult things brought back by local artists pretty much and Irish people my my family didn't blast out anything legendary I never held a record or anything like that so um, my, my knowledge is pretty unique to be fair the way that I've been brought up with music but I'm intrigued just to see we just don't know but we know I we don't I do feel like at this point I've proved that I'm pretty open minded and you know just because I like dance music doesn't mean I can't choose a dance song because you know we have to put it on its platform and Sonique was huge it was just huge it's been a journey of discovery for everyone both of us hopefully you the listener and maybe you can help a friend discover this podcast by sharing it with them yes please I feel like there's a lot of people there who just need this in their life right now and we'd be happy to fill that void um Okay, we need to say something before we get into this week's songs because <laughs> oh, no. we always post the track listings on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram so you can get a chance to see what we're going to talk about. So you've got a chance to go listen to them if you haven't heard them before and you can comment the podcast, they're fresh in your mind and you can get on board with what... Because we can't, we can't play the full songs, can we? We play little hooks, little snippets. We just play, we play snippets. Yeah, so the idea is you go and listen to them in full and then you come to us and you know you, you, you understand the crack. We always tag the artists, and this week we did tag an artist who has liked both our Instagram and Twitter, and we haven't said particularly. <sighs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's possible that the artist in question has come across to listen to this, in which case, hello, thank you for listening. It's, a, <laughs> it, it's much, much appreciated. Listen to me crawling up my ass. Um, we just want to remind anybody listening that these are just opinions that are held by us, but clearly we are wrong because these songs got high in the charts, you know, <laughs> top 10. Once again, well done anybody who made that happen, you know, because we haven't done that in our lives. You know, we, we're not even top 10 in the iTunes chart, so um, we've never made music at all. It's a big thing to do. So well done for doing what you've done. We can't take anything away from you. And we're kind of sorry for what we said. But, uh, you, you know, you can't like everything. And I'm sure if we spoke to this artist, they would agree that it'd be weird if everyone liked everything. And I think specifically this track, it is, it is, it's Marmite. It's Marmite. You know, <laughs> this, this can't be liked by everyone. It's usually me being terrified of being sued, but Liam Milburn, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> there he is. <laughs> I'm too young to go to prison. So... Coming up this week, that, um, but also Backstreet's Back, plus an American DJ tries to bullshit us with some Hungarian. I'm still not convinced, by the way. Uh, we've got an Asian-infused trans banger. Yep. We've got one of the most influential names in experimental electronic music. Yep. We've got a polo-clad man bearing his soul. Wobble, wobble. Someone from, <laughs> someone from Channel 4 at number three. Good man. A huge, huge single from the Princess of Pop. But first, a Barry White sample that takes an unexpected turn. So as always, let's start the podcast this week with number ones, and we're going to do a big number one soon, but let's do a different number one right now. This is Black Legend, You See the Trouble With Me. So 
Liam, what do you think I'm going to think about this one, considering it was a number one? Well, yeah, it's it's big, it's dancey, it's got a big sample. Uh, I get, I'm not sure it could go either way. The obvious part of my brain says you're going to like this, but I'm not sure. Got some strings in it? It has got some strings it's in it, yeah, it's got, got some big strings. It. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sample of Barry White, I'm partial to a sample. Mm-hmm. Which makes absolutely no sense because, and I remember at the time, my body rejects this song and I don't understand how it was a number one. I kind of do understand (laughs) how it was a number one, but it was so strange having a number one that you really, really, really didn't like. And I feel guilty for Black Legend because I'm going in negative with it, but I've actually written down with an exclamation point, but not in capitals. I hate it. (laughs) Isn't that harsh? Uh, That's harsh for me. I'm starting harsh. uh, See, I don't know. But a bit bit of background. This is a tribal house cover of a 1976 soul track from Barry Wright. Uh, Barry Wright? Barry White. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a friend called Harry Wright. Uh, Barry White and Ray Parker Jr. This track weirdly features crowd noise and applause. It feels like a live track, but very much assembled in a studio. It was the number one in June, and it was the 40th biggest selling track of the year. So all points, all all suggestions are that this is a big track. You know, Barry White, legend. What's gone wrong for you, then? What's, what, what's, what's not clicking? I, I, I don't actually know. Right, the crowd noise in it for me is annoying it is video is i don't understand how but the video is depressing the (laughs) you know the actual the actual the the synth beat that makes it officially tribal even though it's not a tribal noise and it isn't Mm. actually tribal Mm. noise i don't understand how but that irritates me but it seems strange because that would be right up my street if i was at creamfields and it was a it was a different song and i'm always the first to kind of you know debate repetitiveness in songs because I can see how it's useful I can see how it's a hook I can see how there's a really smart element to doing it and I always find it's corner but there's just a, a multitude of things that just say in my head that it's a mess loads of the layering in the track right is a bit like you know if you had a synthesizer and you're playing on your keyboards but actually like down one end of the keys you can press a the C key and all of a sudden it gives you a, a sound effect mm. and then you can press a different one and it gives you a sound effect. It's like somebody's put five different sound effects down at one time and held them down while the song was being recorded and no one noticed and they released the dodgy version and it's harsh and it charted higher than Barry White. What the... F- yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you would kind of put it down to unnecessary pissing about, possibly. I don't know and I remember at the time thinking have they put all of these noises on it because... The person who's singing in it, Elroy, isn't as good as Barry White. Mm. And can they not? Are they trying to disguise it a little bit? And like, I do like the strings, but the strings are hidden a bit too much. I, I totally understand how this is probably genius, and maybe Pillheads just completely loved it and you waited mm. for the drop and stuff. But it annoys me that it isn't for me, and it annoys me that I dislike it because I feel like I should be convincing myself to like it, and there's not much I can do to trick myself into being like on board with it you know what I, I like the vocal parts i like the sample but it is just the do 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 i just don't get it i don't get it i i i, 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 I just i just don't i don't understand i mm-hmm. don't really get it i don't I, I, but the thing is I, I keep humming it i keep hearing it and i'm like it's got in my brain it's infected me but i don't yeah i don't like it really i don't i don't i don't find it that 
I don't know. It, it doesn't gel together for me very, very well at all. I just, I don't know. I, I'm, the, I'm the same as you. I'm just kind of like, really? Number one? And it breaks my heart that yeah, Destiny's Child was in the 60s and this was in the 40s. You know, for me, they're two different. But right, I get how this is fun whenever you're drunk. Yeah. But, you know, I wouldn't have even gone to the bar for this one. I would have gone outside for this one. And this is like <laughs> when you get smoking clubs. So there was no one outside. So that was just showing you <laughs> how far pushed I would be to like go outside. Uh, it was just, it was, I don't get it. It was just too much for me. And I want to like it. And I just don't. And I've literally spent a lot of time. I've, I've watched the music video twice, just looking for something to pull me in. And I feel like I've just been a negative Nancy. Mm. <laughs> the, the, the thing about, you know, b- enjoying it while drunk is that generally speaking, you don't go to HMV while you're drunk or go to Virgin Megastore drunk. You have to go out and buy this CD physically back in the day. Yeah. And, and, and at no point on your commute into town to the shop have you gone, hmm, I don't like it really. So clearly it resonated with people while sober too. It must have done. And I like, don't get me wrong. I don't really remember anybody buying it. I do remember it being everywhere. I remember it being a big deal. And it's one of those things where you feel like imposter syndrome where, you know, and the one thing that I'm really proud of is I didn't like pretend to like it at the time to just fit in. You know, I was mm. really like, that's not for me, but I just want to, I'd love to hear opposing opinions to this actually just to kind of educate me. So we've, we've done a big number one there. It's not the number one, though, is it? It isn't the number one of the week. It really isn't because, you know, and uh, like we've discussed several times, we're not looking too far ahead. But, you know, when we just have a quick browse, there's so many songs that you forget what you've just seen. But there's one since choosing Destiny's Child, there's been one that I knew was coming that I remember from the time. And I remember it being such a big, big, big deal that it worried me because I was worried that it was going to have to make me make a difficult decision or it was going to just really confuse me and I couldn't make a decision. So this could be a landmark moment in the course of history for the Naughtiest Naughty. It comes from the iconic gold hot pants and of course the body that inhabited them. Kylie Minogue and her big comeback single, Spinning Around. first three seconds of this <laughs> is intro juice intro juice absolutely intro juice I, I'm, I was sold in three seconds really yeah. and she hasn't even she hasn't done anything she hasn't mm. said anything she hasn't done anything three seconds in and it was just like a, a massive deal so I think you know if you're if you're young and you're new to this podcast or you're you're young and you're just you know new to Kylie or you, you've only had kind of recent Kylie whatever I don't think you can kind of understand her backstory at this point because you know Kylie was in a soap in the late 80s early 90s she was just like a a soap goddess over the years nobody from soaps that has turned to pop music has really had a prolonged career and Kylie came out of the soap was doing stuff in Australia and the UK was selling singles she had some number ones and then like most artists you kind of fizzle quite quickly. You find your way. You kind of start to become the bad girl. You know, like like Billy Piper was last week, where we yeah, thought yeah. Billy was a bit darker. Um, and we thought about Britney. Britney's getting a little bit darker. And mm. um, Kylie had her darkness in the mid-90s and then went from being the biggest thing in the UK to just fizzling out. And her last top 10 single was in 1994, so six years before 
this track. And this comes off the back of, we've said big comeback, and I know in the last few weeks we've spoken about Kylie being, in your opinion, the biggest comeback you've that you can think of. Yeah. Because it came off the back of a more experimental record, didn't it? So Impossible Princess was the album. It was her sixth studio album. And um, it was her kind of taking a grasp of the production side of things a bit more, kind of taking control of it a bit more. But with that being more experimental, being less commercially viable, and as you say, kind of fizzling out. And she, as, as part of this track almost, it can be said that she sort of tries to make amends as best as she can to revert to kind of more more of a positive sound and certainly more commercially viable. This is a big pop tune, big pop tune, and it has that big disco infection in amongst it, has a huge chorus. And I mean, for me, as a four-year-old, like I remember this quite quite well it was hard to escape it and it's one of them things i'm just it's what it's one of my favorite early noughties I, I guess memories just like constantly being surrounded by kylie in these early stages of my life uh, i feel quite lucky that this is the era of kylie that i got and it wasn't it's like funny, impossible it? princess it was this stuff that i got first <laughs> see i was obsessed with kylie when she was in neighbors when i was a little little boy she was my sweetheart I was mm. going to marry Kylie. <laughs> I was devastated when she married Jason Donovan. And there was, then whenever she left, it was just impossible. And then I kind of got on board with Jason Donovan, where all of a sudden they're on UK TV programs singing songs together. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the neighbor's storyline kind of kept going. And yeah. uh, I was obsessed with Kylie for a long, long period of time. And then, you know, as you become a teenage boy, I became a Danny Minogue fan and you know she was a little bit darker and she was much more of a bad girl and she was more publicly a bad girl and a bit more into the dance music side of things too but i think you know you kind of it's really hard to position the position kylie was in at this point where she had no record deals she was actually doing laundry adverts at this point yeah, to earn money yeah, you know that's yeah. what she was that's how she was on our tv if you would ever see her but it feels unthinkable looking back doesn't it like it feels unthinkable for someone who who doesn't know this stage of Kylie's life that she would not be enormous like for for prolonged periods of time yeah and that's what's strange because you know six years it's what it's 10 years since she had number one six years since she since she had a top 10 you know nobody can really break that mold and we did say Craig David maybe is quite an interesting one to look back on yeah yeah but, but Craig as much as he's come back Craig hasn't then had the second like he's, he's doing brilliantly and some of the stuff's amazing but he hasn't had the number ones that Kylie had he hasn't had the resurgence and he hasn't ended up he hasn't ended up bigger now than he was back in the day whereas Kylie's like like landed on top really but this was like the comeback of comebacks and at the time people were like she's never going to top this track you can never top this track and then Little did anybody know that Can't Get You Out of My Head wasn't just going to yeah. be like a massive track here. It was pretty yeah. much going to go number one across the whole world, really. It was co-written by Paula Abdul and it was intended for her, but it wasn't used. Yeah. Um, again, it's one of those one of those amazing things of like, can you imagine if Kylie hadn't had this? Like, you know, yeah. what would have... Yeah, absolutely. It's a whole song about like reinvention, growth and being a new person. And, yeah. you know, I've, I've always known it. And, you know, I wasn't... You know, I wasn't a massive Kylie fan. I wasn't obsessed with the song at the time, but having history behind me, I then now completely appreciate it. And then today I've sat down and I've listened to it and like I've gone through the lyrics as she's singing it. I've watched the music video again, not just being a perverted little boy who wants to see Kylie's bum and hot pants, if mm. I'm honest. And, you know, you, you see past that and you actually realize it's an important 
song for her. It's an important song for women. It's an important song for people in the LGBT community. It's an important song for anybody who just feels like they're being controlled or they're not being either themselves because it can't be or they're not being honest with themselves. Um, and it's not done over overly political. No. Which is so no. nice. Like, it's just fun, relatable, and she just smashes it out of the park. But I don't think Paula Abdul would have seen the impact that Kylie did. No, maybe not. And a little footnote, I know you've said that the, this song is more than just Kylie being hot and having a nice bum, but the bum was legendary, wasn't it? The, like, the, the, it is, uh-huh. It's still spoken about to this day. You know, the gold hot pants are such a big staple, certainly when they came up in the video. I was like, uh-huh. damn, yeah, yeah, I can see why this is iconic. <laughs> it was such a big thing at the time. Do you know how much they cost? No. They cost 50p. Wow. <laughs> they were 50p at a flea market or whatever the equivalent was called where they were bought at the time. But um, they were actually bought for a photo shoot that she was doing and it wasn't until the day before that they decided, right, we're going to put you in the music video in them hot pants. And then the, one of the co-writers with Paula Abdul, whenever he realised and heard that the song wasn't actually going to be for Paula anymore, he was like, who is this Kylie Minogue? I don't like her. <laughs> Saw the music video, got it and was like, I like her. But it's so strange because I didn't even hear the funk in it before. I've always heard, whenever I've heard it, just how subtle and smart the piano is. The piano, and it's really mm. simple and effective. But actually, I had never realized it was a funky bass line the whole way through it. And people have always said that Kylie brought funk back and all of that. And I was like, what does that mean? And then I now I twigged that it's got funk, it's got disco, and it's got piano, and it ticks a multitude of boxes that I hadn't realized even before today. And I knew it was common, but whenever I've sat and deciphered it and listened to it even more, I'm worried I'm now going to be a Kylie fan and I'm going to have to downgrade Danny. And Danny was on my laminated list. So, you know. You can... (laughs) First of all, you can like both. Second of all, why was it laminated? (laughs) It's just, it's a piss take from friends because Ross had his laminated and then uh, one of his rejects comes into the coffee house and then uh, she's not on the list and he said it's not a final list and she's like but it's laminated so um, <laughs> Danny's been cemented into my list for years I can't even remember who else is on the list now to be fair um, cemented like your socks so back at the time but you know pretty much but I even remember at the time do you remember so Johnny Vaughn was massive around this era too yes and I can remember breakfast. Johnny Vaughn just being like really like dumbfounded by it and he said something along the lines of if alien comes to earth they would think that kylie's bum is the world leader that's how much of a big deal and how much of a talking point those hot pants Mm. were and they're not they are uh, they're very sexy but it's all still really classy the whole thing's really that's why it works i think that's why it works yeah yeah 50p well Um, spent and the rumors at the time was that she insured her arse for five million (laughs) dollars Big bucks, big bucks, big bucks. Big butts, big butts, big butts. Um, <laughs> uh, I promise we're not, we're, 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 this is all just, um, we're playing characters, it's fine. Uh, this is a number three. It comes from Watergate. I want to just get Scott to do that little noise that he always does, that he's a little, little, little impression. Uh, oh. It makes us melt. This is Heart of Asia. not 
realise this got so high in the chart at yeah, the time. Yeah, ma- number three. Num- number three. Crazy. That is insane. That is so, so, so insane that it got so high. Um, you know, you know you've produced a dance music show that I do. Yeah. I play this a lot. Yeah. And I still love this. And sometimes I worry that maybe I overmilk it and it wasn't as big a deal to people at the time. Mm. But now I feel like I don't play enough because it was a number three. Yeah. So this is... If you search for it, you, you, you get a lot of results that say Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, which is kind of yep. an alternative name for the track because it is a sample of a track from Ryuichi Sakamoto's soundtrack to the 1983 war film of the same name. Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence. Watergate is someone I was not familiar with beyond this track. Like, as you say, I've produced your show before. I know this track inside out, but I certainly hadn't really thought too much about it. Um, so Watergate is DJ Quicksilver, Turkish dude. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, who is kind of famous for his track Bellissima off of the 90s. This is strange, but it works. It's strange, but it works. That's that's the kind of that's it's what it's what keeps going in my mind. It's just like using those kind of Asian fusions that that kind of that sound that I mean, like Sakamoto is somebody that I really like. I really like his music just as a standalone thing. Mm-hmm. For it to be put in a dance music track is like you have to wonder what the decision process was. You know, at what point did somebody think I'm going to do this, or you know, how did they hear it, and like where where did they get it from? Like, did they? watch Merry Christmas Mr. Lawrence at somebody's house one time and go that would work or because this, this is the days before Spotify so you wouldn't like be on you know like I don't know Sakamoto radio and it would come on and you go that could make an interesting like how's that how's that landed in his lap like how's that become a thing I mean I, we're all glad it has because it works really well but like it's just a strange it's just a strange sample but it works so well that's all part of the charm though right because and maybe you know even in this day and age you know the world's so connected we do not have enough asian influence on our charts Mm. but you know back then you did not access these sounds the only way you got these sounds was through film and even then it was through like snippets but you know i'd never really heard lots of different asian music at this point in my life but you Mm. knew it existed you know it was very very instant you know the minute you hear it you know it takes you to the other side of the world from where we're standing and it just it just resonates with people straight away and the fact that it's turned into a pump and tune you know it's it's really dangerous and some people could do it really really badly yeah and i don't think it's been done that at all i've got really happy memories of this we had a local hotel called the gortine house hotel and it had a nightclub in it called jensen's and jensen's used to be um open on friday nights for over 18s and saturday nights for over 21s and on occasion when i was 16 i got into over 21s Ooh, um, get you. but on a thursday night over the summer they would do this thing which was like a free barbecue and the gist was is it was to get people to go out on Thursday night and they did this massive barbecue where you get burgers and hot dogs and stuff like that and then the club opened so you would go clubbing on a Thursday night in our local nightclub and I can remember just losing it to this <laughs> in Jensen's in Limavady, uh just whenever I was like 16 years old and it was class happy memories of that yeah, I'd love to hear this out. I think we've, we, we've used the word transformative quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And in the early days of this program, we were saying, you know, can a song with a sample be a winner, really? You know, you know. But mm-hmm. 
this is so transformative and they've done so much with it mm-hmm. that like it almost feels like its own separate entity like it feels like a, a thing that's almost bigger than the original yeah is this a contender for you is this is could this be i mean you've got memories of it it's 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 we, we can't undersell how much you love it so i really do like it and i think it's really really good and it reminds me of sitting on a sunday afternoon as well watching um a tv program called pop tv on tina g which was an irish speaking channel that we would get um and they would speak in irish 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 and then it would all of a sudden go watergate heart of asia because they had to say the song <laughs> titles in english and i had no idea what was going on but because dance music was so big in the republic of ireland their chart shows were brilliant and you know things stayed at the top of their charts for much longer because of the population size and stuff but mm. i think this i'm trying not to get warped by having so many happy memories and trying to treat it based on the track but i do think the transformativeness of this actually gives it a really good boost i kind of hold it in a similar esteem to adagio for strings which may suggest yeah. certain things uh-huh. about my choices today but we'll, we'll have to wait and find out <laughs> So that was, as we've kind of established, uh, probably a rather unlikely number three, given the nature of it, but it was, Uh and so was this. TV presenter turned singer, now actor, Richard Blackwood, and Mama Who Demand. I'm struggling with this one. I can't get my head around this one at all because is it supposed to be serious or silly? And when I say serious, I mean, is it supposed to be like credible or is it like a parody thing? Because, you know, he talks, even talks in the song about being on MTV, which was his job at the time. Yeah. He, towards the end of the song, even plugs his own show and, and gives Channel 4 yeah. a mention. Like, it's almost like reading the TV guide. Like, you may as well tell, like, say what time it's on and, you know, how many episodes he's been commissioned for. The, the, because it's such a weird contrast of, like, him kind of really talking somewhat seriously about his journey and the the people he's had to prove wrong and the people he's, you know, and the the... the the fact he's living his dreams, mm-hmm. but also the video's got like sort of parody of other, you know, hip hop stars this time. There's, it's it's a real mixture. And I can't get my head around it. It's a Stargate production, so it's 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 a credible production. Yeah, but not all of it adds up. And I'm just thinking, like, <laughs> it's the kind of thing that somebody might do on their TV show as a stunt. Like, let's try and get a song in the charts. Hey, uh-huh. like, I, I guess the equivalent now would be like if the the three people who present the last leg decided to write a song and get it in the charts. Like it's it, it mm-hmm. uh, help, <laughs> help. <laughs> it's so strange because it's as if it's a bit like right. I'm all for people noticing that no market exists and creating their own market. You know, Simon Coyle did that whenever reality TV started to fizzle out a little bit, and he created the X Factor. And if you'd have asked anybody, do you want the X Factor, they'd have said no. And then what happened is he made it addictive and people did not go out on Saturday nights and nightclubs and bars really struggled, Mm. you know, and then people bought Nintendo Wii's and shit and stayed in. (laughs) But like this one's like that, but in the wrong way. So we've got here a track that is a comedy track, which is a serious track, which is actually a strong production. Yeah. It ticks all these weird boxes that you would never put beside each other. And it's just the really oddest thing 
ever because at the time like, Richard Blackwood was yeah he was a big star and like I think to be like the last leg that's the kind of position he was in the market mm-hmm. at the time you know he was a Channel 4 comedian he did MTV stuff too but this one's dead strange because this could be like a Cleopatra song to me it, it so you could know. I mean the, the chorus especially is very Cleopatra <laughs> yeah yeah I mean because he's and already in the, he's like, already in the chorus so it's yeah yeah no it's like the, it's like the weirdest diss track that's ever existed yeah. and you know I've heard some local diss tracks from where I live and you know there's some strange <laughs> stuff there <laughs> and it totally distracts from the amazing talent that we've got locally but mm. this one is so strange because it is the funniest diss track and maybe maybe actually you know in the lyrics and stuff his uncle told him to just be him don't change for anybody and maybe he's just produced a song that was really him and actually hats off to him for being really yeah Oh, Authentic. absolutely. Yeah, 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 totally. You know, and there is an interesting story within it. You know, it's not the best songwriting. The production is really strong for what it was. And yeah. it's fun. And I do find that, like, the comedy element in the music video maybe does steal from the song a little bit, really. Mm. But, you know, there's a bit too much Will Smith vibe in it when he's trying too hard to be a Will Smith, even yeah. though he's telling us to be ourselves in it. But generally, I think everything about it's fine i kind of yeah. love it in a really weird way and i would listen to it again i hadn't heard it before this and <laughs> I, I knew it so i knew and it's weird if somebody said to me say my name i either go to destiny's child or say my name rb or if i see car <laughs> registrations that say like rb and stuff on it i immediately go watch you every day on tv because they had to take the m out of the radio edits to not brand mtv but that's been in my head since 2000 i still have it in there today so this song must have been cemented in my little cop. Yeah. As much as I find it confusing, as as you do too, by the sound of it, like, his flow is good, and mm-hmm. he actually he actually does kind of sell it really well. Um, he's, yeah, he does, yeah. he's an engaging presence, both in the song and in the video as well. It's just a weird, it's just a weird thing, but I'm not against it. That's the, that's the funny thing. It's just that, like, I'm really confused by it, but I also quite enjoyed it. Quite enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think that's what it is, is like, it is confusing, and it's enjoyable and it ticks a lot of boxes. And, it, you know, I do have a massive soft spot for Richard Blackwood because of all of this. And when I saw it coming on paper, I thought, oh, Jesus. And then when I've listened to it again, I thought, I've prejudged this too fast. Yeah. I really have prejudged this too fast. And perhaps, you know, most curious of all is that it isn't his only top 10 hit. We, 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 no, we've got we're gonna get him back. We're gonna, we're gonna hear him again really soon. He had an album. He had a whole album of songs. He he he, he pulled it off. So I, I can't I can't knock him at all. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so strange. So on Richard Blackwood's TV show that he started in September 1999, he had uh, Will Smith on his show. He had LL Cool J on his show. He had Mel B, and he had uh, LFO, who we've already covered in this uh-huh. show. So you know, it's it's it, it was quite a big deal. That's a big that's a big roster of guests on a, quite a big primetime show now he's on EastEnders uh, and Hollyoaks mm-hmm. but maybe my favourite Richard Blackwood thing and anybody who knows <laughs> anything about anything is Richard Blackwood going on Brass Eye in 2001 <laughs> um, the paedophile special called Peter Geddon and they got Richard Blackwood to hold up a computer keyboard and say that it emitted noxious fumes that made children suggestible and it is if you haven't seen it 
find it on YouTube and watch that whole special because I mean the, the whole series even because so many celebrities get done by Brass Eye and it's just the funniest thing but I think Richard Blackwood especially it almost to me like watching it back now feels like a Craig David thing where it's like potentially so damaging for your career because you've just been stitched up so much mm-hmm. and so thoroughly you know he's holding the keyboard up he's going oh actually I actually do feel a bit more suggestive it's just like it's just, <laughs> you've been rinsed um, oh no but he had the last laugh because he's managed to sustain an entire career uh, in various different guises various different you know acting presenting rapping whatever um, so fair play Richard you've won you've played us all he's got a good agent <laughs> damn right I think these five boys probably have a good agent as well they are the Backstreet Boys we covered them before with show me the meaning of being lonely this one is called The One I'll be the one When I saw this was coming, I couldn't remember it on paper. No. And then I thought that I was going to struggle to remember it whenever I pressed play. And then I remembered it, and I remembered that I liked it. It's a big, classic boy band single. You know what I mean? It just has, it just ticks all the boxes of a classic boy band single. It has all the harmonization that you want. It has a lot of the classic pop sounds that you'd like to hear. It has some Latin guitar, you know? I think the early days of this series have been characterised by curtains, um, Latin guitars, and (laughs) garage. Um, Uh It has some slap beats, which I love, some slap beats, big swoosh transitions, various little key changes. It just ticks all the boxes for a big classic boy band single, and therefore, I like it, and I can't really knock it at all. It's just one of those that I can just get on board with, no quibbles, no questions asked. It's good. I think that their harmonies, you know, through all of their songs are just pretty immense. And I don't think I realized at the time because I was never really like a boy band kind of a person anyway. And I know people always think that I was girl bands, which is a bit odd because it was particularly Spice Girls. And then all of a sudden, one day girls allowed from going to a gig. But um, I wasn't really boy bands, but I loved whenever they brought out everybody. And I think I bought that as a single. Mm. It might have been the first CD that I actually went and bought myself by choice with money in my pocket um, because for me that was a bit like a thriller but yeah all of their skill was completely like distracted from me I wasn't focused on anything that they were doing but you know the harmonies in this are great it's easy listening mm-hmm. and I've written down that Liam will love a Latin bridge and there is a Latin bridge in yeah. there that you, yeah. <laughs> you've mentioned yeah. it yeah. it's, it's uh-huh. fantastic yeah and weirdly enough the bridge doesn't lead to a key change like so many of these pop songs we've covered so far mm-hmm. a bridge leads to a big like sort of Westlife stepping off the stool moment yeah. but this doesn't have that it's just a, it's just it just works continuously all the way through so this is the final single from the album Millennium you mm-hmm. know smash hit still spoken about to this day as an iconic pop record and if, did you watch the video of this I did watch the video and I was a bit confused about it and then whenever I started doing my research it was like well hold on a second this was actually never meant to be their fourth and final single off this album mm. because they were on TRL in America and they had a poll going for fans of which song should be our next and final release of this album and Nick Carter on the TV program called the line and requested this song and all of the fans followed suit so it ended up being the one that they had to release Uh. but it turned out that the rest of the band actually preferred a track called Don't Want You Back Don't Want You Back 
So I've listened to that and I think Nick was right. I do think that this was actually the correct way to go really, but it's weird because then because it wasn't really a proper release, unless I've seen a completely wrong different video, but the video for me is like just a collage of all of the greatest bits really in arena tours. Is that what you've seen? Yeah. 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 That's right. Yeah. That's quite disappointing to be fair. I think every band has them though. You know, yeah. every band has a live video at some point. Mm-hmm. The The video has like a lot of live audio from the gigs and it's just a lot of screaming girls. Yeah. And, um, part of me is just like, I'd love to have seen the Backstreet Boys at this time because the music was so, legendary but i'm not yeah. sure i could do with the pier- the piercing piercing screams of the girls that <laughs> I, I bet they must have found it hard to sleep at night just for the sound of like almost like an alarm clock in your brain just like ah! you'd believe your own hype wouldn't you i think that they did like a greatest hits medley on strictly come dancing like i saw that a year yeah. or two ago I, s- I actually watched that on tv yeah because they've never they've never stopped so there was never no. like uh, we've quit or anything like that which is quite nice but uh i think that you know it got to number eight it didn't have like a great music video it's kind of like an accidental release it was the last one in the album i think it's i'm pr- I, I get the feeling that they could have released any track off that album yeah that was left mm-hmm. and it still would have got to number eight so you know i don't know what the promo and stuff was like but generally like a great strong pop track ticks a lot of boxes i'm glad they released this uh, i'm very glad uh, i like it very much i like the pre-chorus i wrote that down that um mm-hmm. i remember because it they just kind of they start off lower and then they get higher then they go to the chorus and you know it's just it's a nice follow-through and that's why they didn't need the key change because they play with it amongst the the, the middle of the song let's get into a track from armin van helden it's called coochie What do you think this is about, Liam? Well, this is this is this is a weird thing because uh, the Wikipedia page this is this isn't referenced. It's one of those things on Wikipedia that isn't referenced. So I'm just like I don't believe this for one second. But the Wikipedia thing says that the title is actually about cars because <laughs> <laughs> the word "kochi cu- cu- uh, coochie" means car and coochie. Is it, it pronounced "kochi"? Yeah, means yeah. car in Hungarian. Uh huh. Um, so it's actually about cars, but. Why would you want to make a car squirt? <laughs> when I call your cell late at night I want that cookie and I'll do it right When I call your house after work I want that cookie and I'll make it squirt I don't know. It could be like, uh, you know, something... Like an oil, like an oil change? A, or? Mo- a modification of some sort. You know, your windscreen wiper squirt. <sighs> you know. Yeah, but obviously it's a sample of Gary Newman cars. Hence why it's called... Well, hence why they've been able to convince us that it was about... And it's called Kuchi, just in case it was deemed a bit inappropriate. But I have done a Hungarian pronunciation. Because the Kuchi, the Hungarian Kuchi spelt... Was it what, K-O-C-H-I? So that's not how you would, in English, try to pronounce it. But if you do do a Hungarian pronunciation of the word, it does come back pretty clear as day. And it's, it says Kuchi. Yeah. But yeah, big sample. I'm loving the chops in it. I love the polyps in it. It's a bit distorted, has a bit of a two-bit vibe. I think the distortion has been done really intelligently. And, you know, anybody that tries to use vinyl sound effects 
in tracks gets it wrong apart from Arne van Helden mm. I think his use of the vinyl pullbacks is really really good and it isn't annoying like most other tracks that uses vinyl this is where we're different then because I found it a bit of a headache <gasps> did you find it annoying yeah a little a little bit a little bit but equally I, d- I don't think the track would work without it yeah it's just it's just how I felt at the time yeah I want I want to come back to that line I, I want that coochie and I'll make it squirt because I watched this on <laughs> top of the pops and the um the performance is nuts you know you're yeah. like Spice Spice Girls cage dancers. Yeah, that was weird. The girl in the she's in a Union Jack yeah, dress. That yeah. for a few seconds you think, why is Jerry Halliwell on a podium in a cage on top of the pops? Yeah, that felt like some kind of reference to me. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of thinking, like, how are they going to censor this or make it like you know friendly for Friday night half seven? But they they didn't. It just says, I want that coochie and I'll make it squirt. Which just, to me, it's just sends shivers. Just like, oh, it's just so gross. Yeah. It's an interesting production. And I do, I, I, I agree. I like what he's done with it. And it, 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 this is what I was referring to before with the, see, I've already forgotten, Black Legend. The the, the two tracks do similar sort of mashup things. You know, mm-hmm. the, the Gary Newman sample is just a, when it comes in after the intros and after those kind of like funky electro parts to go between those and the Newman sample is just a bit weird, but this melds together much better. And maybe it is those record scratch and transitions that, that kind of, that bind it a bit more. It's just a bit of a headache of a song generally, but it's kind of like, I get that. Yeah. I'm kind of impressed by just how mental the whole thing is. Like it's, it's very, it's very ballsy. It's very, very ballsy and brave. Mm -hmm. And it, 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 somehow works but i'm not sure why <laughs> no it's it's weird because it's kind of like 80s vibe two bits vibe and you know if you watch the video there's even extra 80s in the video but the whole mm. thing was very experimental in many respects it's like it's perfectly eerie it's a little bit dark that top of the pops performance is kind of probably one of the weirdest ones that i can remember mm. as well where yeah. there's singing directly to the camera from a robot that's practically a smurf it's dead strange but the weird thing is and and you know to position this again at number four is this is a follow-up to house music tracks and arma van helden is like one of the world's best house music djs so this one sounds completely different and it is a lead single again from an album but we're so used to the chicago house sound with armin that this is a little bit confusing Mm. and i think that's why it's a nice different and you do kind of expect the rest of the album to be experimental and like this but the next singles again are back to modern Chicago house sounds but you know he, he had number one in 1999 with You Don't Know Me hard to follow up yeah he would need to do something different and this was it yeah really and, and i think for that reason mm-hmm. certainly by that criteria it has worked because it is very very different <laughs> absolutely yeah mm-hmm. well done armin very different but i remember again not loving it back then because i think i thought what you think now where it was a bit of a head fry and it was strange I like it way more now in this day and age and the weird thing is is i've gone through his discography and i've tried to see what was around it and then this is probably one of the ones of his that I actually liked the least. His next one didn't chart very well. Loved it. The one after that charted a bit better. Loved it. But some of his stuff is just brilliant. And then, you know, this is the second highest charting single, but he has better ones in the future, like My, My, My and, and things too. But um, love it, really. But I understand why it's strange for people. It is strange to think of all the tracks that we aren't going to cover. Massive. That are, <laughs> you know, in our minds, like 
amazing and massive yeah. but just didn't didn't chart and maybe yeah. that's maybe that's for a good reason you know a lot of really experimental tracks would never chart but this we still love them and that's mm-hmm. but that's not what we're doing this for this is top 10 no. strict, strictly <laughs> yeah anyway david gray and babylon is next in a total change of sound total change of sound and if you want it come and get it crying out loud the love that i was giving you was never like the original bobblehead I remember everything about it was the way he wobbled his head when he sang at the time and David Gray I I didn't I didn't not rate him there was loads and loads of hype about him but I never I never tuned in on what he was saying or what he was singing because it kind of all sounded a little bit depressing in many respects but weirdly, yeah whenever I've listened to this I lit up and I was really surprised that it brought me so much joy and some really strange way but he and i still i don't know what the record is now but for years and years and years and years the album is that white ladder it was called that this was off yeah yeah that was mm-hmm. like the biggest sell, selling album of all time in ireland wow okay it was like something like i don't know if it was the biggest selling or the longest running number one or something like that but there was just so much hype for david gray and then he got so much hype so much so fast that people then started to critique him you know whenever somebody gets big fast and then they just start to bring them down a peg or two it's called circle jerk is that what it is is that really what it is yeah it's when somebody has a big moment of fame and they get to live that for a bit but then the critics come for them and Ooh. the site the, the circle begins and it becomes a circle jerk yeah ah interesting yes so many have been caught within it some have never escaped um white ladder as you've mentioned was his fourth record and i was reading in the guardian this was just a few months ago that the the album came about when he was just in the middle of some financial ruin. You know, he'd had three records. He found himself in real, real trouble. He was having to really strip things back. And this had to be kind of a, almost like a bedroom production just because of the nature of it and and, and just <laughs> how much ruin he was in. Um, and this led to a, some would say, spectacular change in fortune because he went from being a, a zero to massive hero this is a gold certified album in november 2017 it got that certification um and it's interesting because if you look at the video and you look at just david in general he's just a regular looking he's just a very ordinary looking guy with a guitar and a polo shirt and he's just bleeding his heart out but it's it's captured the imagination of a lot of people that's what's so good about it and you know david was really supposed to be like oh this album is supposed to be a representation of london hence the word babylon because some people refer to london as being babylon because it's so hectic and and busy and things like that so the whole thing was really about that lifestyle but it wasn't even until i've listened to it today that i've realized that you know and i know the words to it so i can sing it but mm. I haven't listened to it. Does that make sense? But it's it's a really interesting story focused across, you know, uh, a whole weekend. And I think it actually deserved more time than I gave it at the at the time, mm. to be honest. It's one that I saw in the, the list coming up and being like, oh, it's one of those dreary ones and i've listened to it and actually mm-hmm. and, and it, it, it's weird that i'm even saying this given just how my preconception of it would have been previously it kind of low-key slaps like it's one of those <laughs> tracks it's like it's 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 good it's like it's it's really good yeah. i like the confessional power of it i think the, the it's real power is just how 
candid and confessional it really is, both kind of with himself and the, the listener in equal measure. And he's spoken about the, the meaning of the song and he's just saying, there's a feeling in the chorus that's striving. I'm trying to express something that I don't really know what it is. And as the years have gone by, in a way, that's the central theme of the record. This act of surrender, surrender at all costs, is what he wow. says. Wow. It's weird. Do you think that, like, do you think that the the critics have completely destroyed the brand? So actually, whenever we see a David Gray come, we think, oh, God, when really we've been warped. I think possibly. I think I've been warped. And don't get me wrong, this is the only David Gray song I can really name off the top of my head. And All right, okay. I'd be curious to see if any of them sound any any different to this or like you know if he's actually got some kind of coochie up his sleeve that we didn't even know about um <laughs> he I does have I, different songs he really really does i think all well, the ones that i know are probably off white ladder but yeah. i had a, a guy a co-worker when i worked in super value Limavari called niall who worked in fruit and veg with me and um, i remember that he would just like sing david gray songs to me in the lift while he went up or he would sing oh. to me in the fridge and stuff and he just he just loved the stuff uh, and you know, I think that like that helps a little bit, but you know, I do feel sorry for it. I feel like he's had a really hard and got a lot of stick just because his tone could be interpreted as being miserable. And you know, maybe actually, based on what you've just said that he said about his songs, maybe it was just too deep for music critics, and they just mm-hmm. they're not very de- deep themselves and couldn't relate. Yeah, very possibly. Interestingly enough, you may have seen this as well, but David Gray has actually stopped playing this song. Yes. He says, there was no feeling left. It was just a husk of a song in my mind, which is always the big danger when you've got a massive hit like yeah. this. It's that it's so big that it consumes everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, the fact that it's the only one I can name goes to show just how big it was and how much it engulfed everything else. Mm-hmm be a difficult one but yeah david gray number five yeah. i'm 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 impressed and i'm sorry that i didn't pay attention to you when i was 16 like i feel like i should have done now yeah me too i feel bad that i didn't give much attention for the entire first 24 years of my life <laughs> but I, 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 this isn't me saying i'm going to become a massive david gray fan because i don't consider it very likely he's just kind of he's he's, he's fluked this one to be fair because this isn't my tempo at all it's not my speed like it just so happens that he had to be listened to for this program, and I liked it more than I expected. Mm-hmm. So, you know, don't don't expect anything. I'm not I'm not going to go and like buy a polo shirt and sit and strum away. Well, I might do. But. <laughs> this is Moby's fourteenth UK top forty single. Fourteen? Can you believe it? And this is his only appearance in our podcast this is his best performer to date which makes me really sad considering just how good this is it's called porcelain films made me fall in love with Moby completely Um, just I didn't realise that Moby did things to people's bodies the way that the born noises come in and Mm. just at the end of the film just chill you through and it, yeah and this at the time I remember again and we're back to the whole this isn't my bag it's it's too slow I was never really you know into stuff that was like just melancholic really and that that kind of scared me you know how dare somebody make me in touch with my feelings when I'm young but <laughs> this was this was just too sad for me and I did avoid it hadn't a clue it was a breakup song hadn't really been you know through a breakup at 16 so it wasn't really for me but I get it now and more than just because it was used in the beach film yes it's an 
another track that we can give the beach credit for because and, and, and actually Moby does too because he says that a lot of the record's success was down to the fact it was used in the beach and used very well he's given mm-hmm. Danny Boyle particular praise for how it was used this was a big comeback record for Moby uh, he had a thrash punk album five years previous that had almost cost him everything he'd built up because he'd he'd built a reputation up for, you know, being an underground producer, you know, hanging in cool circles. As always happens, I guess, you, you get a certain level of fame and you start thinking, well, I'm going to just do what I want now. You know, people have bought into the brand, clearly. I'm just going to play about and see what works. Spoiler alert: the the thrash punk thing didn't work, and um, <laughs> he had to really work hard to win the win the fans and the critics back around. And th- this this album play uh, did that massively. Uh, I mean, you y- you can't go very far in terms of cinema and not hear some Moby because he licensed the entire album for use in films and TV. Um, and he must make an absolute fortune because his his music lends itself to cinematics so well mm-hmm. and that's just because the productions are so high class uh, and you expect no less and this is really a good example it's one that he actually wasn't that fond of um he no, no. criticized the production at the time said it was mushy mm-hmm. and that his vocals were really weak he's dismissed it as average and later recalled that he couldn't imagine anyone else wanting to listen to it well i can tell you moby that for a lot of the early years of my life uh, my dad's played Moby a lot and I've heard this song a lot and certainly when this one came up in the list I was very much looking forward to it and I just found myself getting really lost in the production I had to listen to it Mm -hmm. a few times like on repeat just to really kind of dig into what's going on here because there's so many different moods and instruments kind of working alongside each other simultaneously and it's just created this big as you say emotional and melancholic but also really haunting and just really really kind of um, sort of like delicately doomy which I like. My f- my favourite part of it is actually the sample. So it's a sample of Ernest Gold, Fight for Survival, which is really, really subtle. But the effect that he puts on it and the way that he just managed to, to play with it that little bit beyond the original. It's very transformative, isn't brilliant. it? Very, very transformative. It it's, it's kind of hypnotic in many res- mm, mm. respects as well. But for me, that is what, what makes it. And like I just think it's just such a beautiful track. I really, really like it. Don't get me wrong. I feel like I still need to be in the right place to listen to it. Yeah, because I do find that it can it could make me cry at any point, and you know I would have to avoid it at certain points. But I would happily listen to this, you know, and put it on and sit around with people and discuss it. And it's a shame that this is the last Moby track we cover, isn't it? So I feel like it's a good chance now to kind of really give them the 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 debt of gratitude that we have for him because Moby's influence has been so enormous. I was just reading Miranda Sawyer talk about play, uh, and she says that Moby was dance music Adele. Everyone liked his stuff, is her quote. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's certainly it's big praise. And and he certainly himself was influential in bringing this kind of experimental electronic to the masses. So his yeah. his stature really can't be underestimated, can it? Nah, I just want to go to the cinema and watch Born Again and just like experience the last 30 seconds of the film just mm. because of Moby. And, you know, it's a shame that Extreme Ways isn't going to make the podcast. But yeah, this is this is so so good, and you know, well, like I don't need to say well done, Moby, because I'm assuming now based on the way that it panned out, that actually you know you know how good the track is. Mm. But I'm happy, thank you, Moby. 
eight tracks this week. It will be very easy just to kind of focus on the big one that, you know, we've, we've bigged up quite a lot. But there was eight very valiant efforts this week, I would say. Absolutely. It's been interesting because I think um, I lifted some stones up in my mind and actually really surprised myself with songs I never thought that I would really respect as much as I do now. And this is this answers kind of Ryan's point from the start of the podcast. Things can go absolutely anyway right now because you know what i've i've unearthed a few things today that i love now so let's get straight into it scott you're going in with destiny's child we've already said four weeks this would be five if it stays on is it, is it gonna stay on is my big question what are your contenders and episode winner for this week see destiny's child say my name is such a deserved long reigning track it really really deserves to be you know put up against a future destiny's child track really oh in my pot though i'm gonna stick in a little bit of moby 16-year-old Scott cannot believe that 36-year-old Scott's saying that. Mm. Um, I'm going to... And I, I, don't, I don't think until the day of the prep, I really, really, really thought this one would be a contender for me. Watergate, Heart of Asia, mm. in my pot. And I'm going to stick in Kylie because I think it's pretty obvious. <laughs> Spinning around. Oh, sh- should, we, should we rip off the band-aid now and just say that my pot is exactly the same? <laughs> is it? I love it. That's so good. That is so good. We're going to get them in a sec, but what is your episode winner out of that three? Oh! my episode winner is a strange one because everything got compromised i really got my brain challenged a little bit because i thought there was going to be one clear winner that was going to steal it and me too it was still a very clear winner it was a bit murkier water than i thought it was going to be but obviously it's still kylie minogue spinning uh, around i am not surprised but I mean, again you always you always find ways to mess with my brain so Madison Avenue, don't call me baby, is your current winner, Liam. You've kind of given away what's in your pot. Talk to us. I'm saying Kylie because I've been feeling that for 20 years. It's just great. I had it on again this morning just to double check that, I've, that, I, that I love it as much as I do, and I do. Uh, Watergate Heart of Asia, it's a, it's a track that you've played in your shows before. I just find it so beautifully weird, and I think beautifully weird sums me up quite nicely. So I relate to it very much. And uh, Porcelain, again, it's a track that I've heard. All three of these tracks have just lived with me in different ways. Like, I think Porcelain reminds me of my dad because he plays this quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And my flatmate Tom's just bought the album Play on vinyl wow so it's coming this week and we'll we'll have have a quick spin of it but yes my winner is oh see part (laughs) part of me wants to say kylie because it's kylie Uh and it would be really really stupid not to pick it like really really and i feel like i've done some stupid things this series but i'd be really really stupid to not pick kylie but i also really like moby but is it like is it like a naughtiest naughty winner going forward? I don't think it is. And I think the only chance of these three that's gonna go up against Madison Avenue for me is Kylie, so we're gonna go for an all Australian ding dong. Wow, check that out. So we've got two Kylies sitting beside each other right now. How exciting. Yeah. How exciting, how exciting. Yeah. Big question though, what's gonna happen next? Let's find out. So for you, Destiny's Child, Kylie Minogue, two absolute heavyweights of the year two thousand drone please so like you say two very big heavyweights probably the biggest and most hardest decision we've had to do so far Mm. but i think that actually it is kind of easier and i'm going based off positivity social impact and just vibe really and i love the message in one because it's gripping but i do think it's too much of a protagonist track for men so Destiny's Child Say My Name, I Can't Believe, is going into the recycle Ooh. bin. And my new series winner Ooh. is Kylie spinning around. Oh, that was so exciting. I dropped my phone. 
<laughs> Thank God that's all you dropped. Uh, wow. Oh, I feel weird about that now because I really wanted and I would love to have given Destiny's Child an even longer run. So I kind of wish that its release date and Kylie's release date were a bigger gap. Mm. You know, really, but um, I just didn't know. I didn't know until this episode what way it was really going to go. But actually, I feel like on a seesaw, Kylie's way much more heavy. I love it. Okay. So Kylie wins. Okay. Ooh, Liam. That's exciting. Hopefully you... Oh, I feel really bad for you, actually, because yours is just... <laughs> you're doing double Australia, so... Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so difficult, so difficult. Which is really interesting to get at this point and not have this massive Americanism just sitting dominating yeah, everything. Yeah, So, have I got Liam, Have I gone American at all yet? Oh, I don't know. I feel like I've kind of largely gone British or Australian so far, but... You might have done. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll double check. <laughs> I mean, all Saints part, part Canadian, so, you know, not totally. All right, okay. Um, right, let's do this. Let's <sighs> hit you with the drone. It's really, really difficult, and this is going to sound really strange, but I listened to Kylie this morning just to, because I knew it was going to go head-to-head with Madison Avenue, and I just wanted to, there was a one a few weeks ago, wasn't there, that I was going to choose. Which one was it? I said it was Imperfect. There was a track that I chose as my episode winner that I said it was Imperfect. Oh, it was Britney. It was Oops, I did Britney, it again. Oops, I did it again. Yeah. And there's just, there's just some things I don't like about it that kind of mean it I think for me it might be the bridge of Kylie. <gasps> I don't know. I, I, I listened to it today. I was like, it just it detracts from it as a whole. But for me, Madison Avenue is kind of flawless, and it oh, for that shit. reason is gonna stay on. <laughs> what? Oh my god! This doesn't make any sense. This is the most confusing thing I think you've ever said to me during the uh, whole series of the podcast so far. So let me just get that straight. Madison <laughs> Avenue, don't call me baby, is still staying on as your episode winner versus Kylie Minogue spinning around. Yeah, I think it is. I like an okay. underdog. You need to go and have a word with yourself. If we get to Kylie Minogue, can't get you out of my head, and you're sitting here with Madison <laughs> Avenue, don't call me baby. We'll just we'll just chuck in the tile there and then okay but I love that you put your logic to it as well but it's so strange because you know like you're you're very much a new and emergent indie pop guy and some of the some of the joy of these you know indie pop tracks and people that class themselves as real pop stars not manufactured pop stars their imperfections are their selling points and that's mm. what makes it pop music and it's it's so strange to see this different side to you but interesting Jesus gosh <laughs> 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 it's done, it's done, it's done now. Send your hate mail to naughty00pod at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, we'll be doing TNNX on Monday. If you are going to miss out on Destiny's Child going forward, don't worry because they're actually going to come back next week. And also, we're talking about Beyonce in this week's TNNX because she's still doing bits in the year 2020 and she's doing it with one of the big emerging queens of our generation. Uh, again, we've caused massive headaches for everyone involved. I don't even know what we've just done. It's all just become a massive blur. We'll find out next week if we <laughs> have not gone insane or not. <laughs> what a week. And I think we need to do it all again next week. Let's do it. Thank you very much, Scott. And we'll see you in the next one. Thank you, Liam. Liam.